0: You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition.
1: What were we entangled in before Christ? What had us? Same thing applies. Your liberty in Christ is going to be challenged. Your walk with the Lord is going to be challenged by hell and by the world. So the same word comes to you and me pertaining to whatever it was that entangled us in the past. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. And don't you dare let yourself be entangled again with a yoke of bondage.
0: As Christians, when we read the Old Testament, many of the rules and rituals don't seem to be all that important to our everyday lives. In today's message, Pastor Jeff explains that we need to take the new covenant brought before us by Jesus dying on the cross as seriously as those in the Bible took the old one. No, we don't need to sacrifice animals or be born into a specific clan to be a priest. But through his sacrifice, our sins are forgiven. And he expects that we lay down our life for him. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, as he begins his message, The Law of Liberty.
1: All right, Galatians. Now, by the way, if you uh, should want these notes, they're available out there if you want to get the notes and. Uh, By the time we're done, you'll have a little book on the book of Galatians. And um, let's look now. Last time we uh, looked at what Paul's allegory of the bondwoman and the free woman. The bondwoman was symbolized by Hagar and her offspring Ishmael. And these two, said Paul, (coughs) represented the flesh, the works of the flesh, the effort of man's will. And we talked about how we can hatch our own Ishmaels if we want to, but they tend to not bless you. Amen? Amen. That means you decide to help God out with his purpose for your life and take matters into your own hands and make something happen. How many have ever given birth to an Ishmael somewhere in your life? Tell the truth. The rest of you just did by telling a story. (laughs) The free woman was symbolized by Sarah and Isaac. And these two represented the spirit, the product of faith and freedom. That's what we want in our lives, beginning with our salvation. Now, this time we're going to begin with chapter five. And as we go through chapter five and on into chapter six, we're going to see a total of four laws. We can call them four spiritual laws, but four laws that Paul's going to talk about. Here they are. Read them with me, would you? The law of liberty in Christ in the first 15 verses. The law of likeness to Christ in 16 through 26. The law of love for Christ and the law of life in Christ. Now, those are laws. So the law of liberty in Christ, the law of likeness to Christ, the law of love for Christ, and the law of life in Christ. Now, after having shown the futility of returning to the old law, now, for those of you who are here for the first time, and just for summation, let's remember that Galatians is all about um, Paul led these people to Christ in Galatia, birthed a church, had to leave as he always did. And as soon as he was gone, the wolves came in. And that's what happens. Take the strong man out and the wolves come in. When the wolves came in, they were Judaizers. Judaizers were uh, those that taught that uh, you had to observe the Old Testament. And they were teaching the Galatians that they had to mix Old Testament law with their newfound faith in Christ. And it was corrupting them it was corrupting their faith. It wasn't true. You don't. Because the law of life in Christ has replaced us having to achieve righteousness through the law because we never could. But here he was trying to they were trying to corrupt the Galatians and Paul is amazed and one of his great statements in the book is who in the world has bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit are you now perfected in the flesh? Of course not. He's amazed that they have so soon and easily departed from the faith. And they're just about to apostatize or to walk away. He's concerned about that. Matter of fact, he's not only concerned, he's angry. Angry with a righteous anger. He was angry at these Judaizers that were corrupting them. And he was very, very disappointed in the people he had led to Christ. So he's talking to them and coming at them from many, many different angles to get them to see what in the world are you doing returning to the law and the feasts and all these different things that you observed that never did bring you righteousness. And now you're going back, having found righteousness by faith in Christ alone. So after having shown the futility of returning to the old law and having illustrated that they have been made truly free in Christ, Paul begins by saying, let's read it together. This is one of my favorites. Read it good and loud. Preach to me. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Give God a hand. I love that. Isn't that good stuff? Now, for them, this had to do with going back to that law. But for us, what is it? What were we entangled in before Christ? What had us? Same thing applies. Your liberty in Christ is going to be challenged. Your walk with the Lord is going to be challenged by hell and by the world. So the same word comes to you and me pertaining to whatever it was that entangled us in the past. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. And don't you dare let yourself be entangled again. With a yoke of bondage, whatever the bondage was, any bondage is bad. Amen. Now the next 15 verses, he's going to focus on the foundation of our liberty in Christ, the foes of our liberty in Christ and the frontiers of our liberty in Christ. So the foundation, the foes and the frontiers of the liberty we have in Jesus Christ. Well, what's the foundation? The foundation is you are free in Christ. That's the foundation. Freedom began with Jesus. Freedom is not being able to go and do whatever you want to do. I'm going to say that again because some of you think that's what freedom is. Freedom is not the liberty to go and do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. That's not freedom. Freedom is the power to do what you should do. Because until you know Jesus, you can't do everything you should do because you're locked into sin and you're controlled by flesh. So freedom and the liberty to go do whatever you want, it's the power to do what you ought. What did it say? Jesus said, if the Son, me, therefore shall make you free, that's when you're really free, free indeed. When you have the power to do what you ought That's when you're really free. And only Jesus can make you free to live a righteous life. Now, Jesus had said this to men who thought they were free, but they were actually the slaves of sin. Mankind has always longed for for and demanded freedom. Yet one might be free to come and go as one likes and not be truly free. True freedom is within. say it again. True freedom is within you. Freedom is an inside job. True freedom is to be free of the shackles of sin. True freedom is when you have the power to say no to sin because nobody else out there can do it. If you're lost, you can't do it. You're going to live in sin. But If you're in Christ, we're going to see that you can say no and you can live free from the shackles and entanglements and bondages of sin. He's the only way. So if the son makes you free, that's when you're really free. Freedom. Now here I already quoted myself, but here it is again. Let's read it together. Freedom is not the ability to do what one wants, but is the power to do what one should. Let that sink in. That's a different concept. Now the word Paul uses for liberty means deliverance from slavery. Because we were all slaves. Everyone in here, you never were your own person. You never were an independent person. We were all enslaved to sin. That's the truth. Now, I found this interesting. In Paul's day, the Greeks had a roundabout way of securing freedom for a slave. A god, now we're talking about an idol, one of the Greek gods. You know, you've read Iliad and Odyssey and Homer's. Writings and whatnot, all the Greek mythological gods there were, there were hundreds and hundreds of them. And Rome had skedaddles of gods, gods everywhere. They didn't care if you worship Jesus as long as you didn't demand that Jesus was the only God. You could put your God in with all the others and they were fine. But if you went saying, Caesar's not my God, and Jesus Christ is the only real God, then they killed you. Now, a God. In their thinking, one of these mythological gods supposedly purchased the delivered slave. The slave provided the money, but because slaves had no legal standing, he could not purchase himself. So his master paid the required amount into the temple treasury. Now, not the Judaistic temple, not the Hebrew temple, but the idol temple, the temple for idols, paid the required amount into the temple treasury on the slave's behalf. And a document bearing the words, quote, for freedom was written up. Then because the slave was now the property of a God, nobody could enslave him again. Free, says Paul. You have been purchased, but not by a fictitious God. You have been bought, paid for, ransomed, redeemed, liberated, let out of prison by the very son of God and his blood and nobody, I'm gonna say it slow, can enslave you again. And if you end up enslaved, you had to let it happen because you don't have to because now we have a choice. And boy, I can't wait for next week. I'm gonna be talking about walking in the spirit so you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And it's good. This happens to me every week. I wanna go into next week tonight, (laughs) but I can't do that. So here we go. You've been bought by the very son of God. We've gotta get that. You have been purchased with a price, said, said Paul. So therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Now, yeah, this is exactly what the Judaizers had been trying to do, enslave them again. Paul's furious about it. Stand, Paul says. I want everybody to say with me, stand. 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 You know what bugs me about our current generation? Everybody wimps out. Everybody caves. Everybody finally just gives in and let let the world walk all over them. Latest one's the Boy Scouts. I hope they wake up And don't do this. But everybody's caving. But Christians aren't supposed to cave. Christians are supposed to... Say it again. stand. Stand. Christians are not... To back down, bow, break, bend, give in, cry uncle, put up the white flag. No. Christians are supposed to... Stand. Paul says one of the apostles... Favorite rallying cries was to stand fast. He loved this. He had little phrases he liked. And um, like I shared during the weekend, lay it aside, lay aside the old man, lay aside the old ways, lay aside the flesh and whatnot. But here's one of his favorites. Stand fast. Stand firm. Plant your feet. Don't be moved. Don't budge from your victory. Stand When faced by wild, undisciplined enemies, here's what the Roman soldiers would do. The Roman soldiers would lock their shields together in a long line, plant their feet firmly on the ground, and they would stand like an iron wall against the invaders. That's what the church is supposed to do. Just like that. We ought to get side by side by side by side, hold up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit till we become one long Holy Ghost iron wall of righteous resistance and stand yeah. against all invaders. And believe me, Christians and our culture are under massive, breathtaking invasion. It seems like every day there's something else in the news where some, somebody caved somewhere and evil made another inroad into our culture. It's time for the church to grow a spine made of Holy Ghost steel and say, you know what? That's far enough. You're not going any further. We stand, we stand together and we, we create this wall of resistance and we are not budging. Paul says, stand your ground in the day of attack. That's what we're supposed to do. Stand your ground. We shouldn't yield a single point. So, well, Pastor Jeff, that's the, you must not be willing to grow and, and evolve and um, flex and flow with the way the culture is going. I'm not supposed to. Truth does not adapt itself to a culture. Truth is not something you change based on the whims or desires of people. Truth stands like an unbending, steel pillar that never gives in, never changes, no matter what the culture does, no matter what people wish it were, it doesn't give in. It doesn't back down. It doesn't change. And it will set you free. Now, what our culture can't seem to get is truth is truth and error is error. And they don't change. They don't shift. They don't flex. They don't adapt. They don't evolve. And you're not backward or ignorant or a hayseed if you believe that. You're wise. Because relativism is destroying our culture. Relativism. That's when truth is totally adaptable and changeable and flexible and flowable. And it's more like Plato than a steel rod. Relativism where truth is what you decide it is, relativism. Where every man does what is right in his own eyes, relativism. It has always wrecked cultures. Show me a culture that went into relativism and I'll show you a culture that died. Show me a culture that stayed true to traditional, fixed, unchanging truths and I'll show you a culture that was strong, as we would say in East Texas, as bear's breath. (laughs) Study history. History talks. History will show you. Relativism is rotting our culture. It's gut rot. It is philosophical gut rot. Relativism. My truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. So don't cramp me with your truth and I won't cramp you with my truth. And can't we all just get along and I'll do what I want and you do what you want. Don't tell me what's right or wrong and I won't tell you what's right or wrong because wrong and right are completely debatable. That culture is going down study history, study Rome, study Greece. You go back into history and study the great civilizations that have come and gone. And I'll show you when relativism got in there and immorality became moral and what was moral became immoral and right was wrong and wrong is right and black is white and white is black and good is bad and bad is good. I'll show you. It self-destructed. It was only a matter of time. Paul says, no, for the church, you stand. The church must not give in on a single crucial issue. Well, Pastor Jeff, can't we just meet people halfway and compromise a little bit in order to get along? Did Jesus? Did John the Baptist say to Herod, hey, Herod, you know, I see that you're in adultery and you got your brother's wife, but but." You know what? I'll blink at that if we can just get along. You know why they killed Jesus? Because he wouldn't compromise. And he wouldn't flex and flow and change and adapt and evolve. He said, here's the condemnation. Light came into the world and the world loved darkness more than light. He told the truth. He got right in their face and in love told the truth and it got him crucified. The church must not give in on a single issue, no matter what the culture says. Be not entangled, Paul warns. Don't allow anybody or anything to put a noose around your neck or chains on your feet to bring you again into bondage. You gotta have have a resolve, church. Are y'all with me tonight? You've got to have an inward resolver. You've already made up your mind preemptively. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give in. What I know to be true, I'm never going to compromise that. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not read the next part with me, can you? I must not become a slave to anything. You and I are to be a slave. So one thing, tell me what it is, Jesus, Jesus. We are to be his servant, his loss, that's the Greek word for slave. And you know what? It's funny, when you become his slave, that's when you really get free. And until you become his sold out servant, you're not really free. It's when you bow and say, Lord, I give you myself, all of my dreams, all my aspirations, all that I am ever could be. I give all of me to you, and I'm going to serve you the rest of my life and become your doulos, your slave, that's when you get free. Y'all are quiet tonight. Y'all are quiet tonight. Wheels are turning. I like the wheels to turn. Now again, Paul informs them that a return to the law as represented by circumcision would be completely useless. He says in verses two and three, indeed I, Paul, Say to you that if you become circumcised for righteousness, obeying that law so that you can be righteous, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised, in other words, seeks the law for his or her righteousness, that he's a debtor to keep that whole law. If you're going to go the way of the law, says Paul, rots a ruck, good luck because haven't you already tried this and you couldn't obey it? Why are you trying again? If you return to the law for your salvation, says Paul, you're gonna find yourself in the same boat as before, having to keep the whole law. And they would essentially be falling into debt again to the law, the debt to God of keeping the law, which they could not do. And should they take that route? They also had a terrible prospect. You're going to go the way of the law. You're going to leave this walk of grace and salvation by faith. And you're going to go back to that law, back to that old life, back to what never could give you righteousness righteousness in the first place. You're going back. He said, it's not going to work, but you've got another prospect as well. Here it is. You have become estranged from Christ, says verse four. You who attempt to be justified by law or... Where we're concerned by our own works, doing good deeds, doing good things, feeding the poor, taking a pie to your neighbor, being nice to people, never getting a traffic ticket, being a good citizen. You're going to seek your righteousness by your own good works. He says in verse four, you have fallen from grace. You're giving up on grace. And now you're leaning on yourself again. Can anybody in here tell me truthfully that before you knew Christ, you were able to achieve genuine righteousness by your own good works? How many of you can remember saying at least once to yourself, I can't believe I'm here again? Come on, everybody. Y'all look at me so holy with those halos over your head. How many of you ever said, I can't believe I did that again? How many of you ever said this? What is wrong with me? Because you wanted to do good and you didn't do it. And the very evil you didn't want to do. That's what you did. And so it it didn't work trying to achieve righteousness by yourself. So Paul's amazed with these people. What are you doing going back? And if you decide to go back and try it again on your own, you've fallen from grace. Now this doesn't mean they lost their salvation. It meant they would automatically cut themselves off from the power of Christ in their daily life because they're not leaning on Jesus for righteousness They're leaning on their own good works once again. A decision to embrace Judaism, a Christ-rejecting religion, meant a decision to renounce Christ. Now that's serious.
0: There has always been a debate among religions as to who Jesus really is. Many of us view him differently, and it's easy for the magnitude of who he is to get forgotten. Today, Pastor Jeff explained that you need to view Jesus as the Lord overall. He was sent to earth in human form to save you from your sin. But that doesn't mean that he is any different from God. When you start to live your life viewing Jesus in this way, you will experience peace and hope. Are you interested in partnering with us here at Hardwired? We'd love for you to come alongside us in supporting this ministry. All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. That number once more is 817-484-4767 and text GIVE. Thanks so much for prayerfully considering this today, and thanks for listening. Daniel has more to tell you about what's ahead on the upcoming edition. As Christians, we all find ourselves in a rut at one time or another. We go about our routines and can't help but have moments with the Lord that feel disconnected. In his next message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that you need to keep your prayer life focused and consistent. He is calling you to worship Him, and one of the purest forms of worship is prayer. Even if you don't know what to say, you can call upon the Lord, and He will answer. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwine. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting Hardwired.org. Join us next time to continue our study in the book of Galatians right here on Hardwired.